and all I felt at the time was a little flick in my finger. So I didn't feel any pain at all, but I obviously looked down at my hand and it was a sight to be seen, to say the least. Welcome to the Waiting Game Podcast, a podcast where I attempt to bring more dialogue into the world of Olympic weightlifting and share my experiences and perspectives in the sport and resistance training in general. It was a perspective I wish was more accessible during my earlier years of training, so here is my attempt to bring that value to those who may be seeking it. And welcome everyone to episode 5 of the podcast. I'm Brandon Wakeling, Olympian and multiple time representative at the Commonwealth Games in the sport of weightlifting. Now for this episode I'm going to be covering a topic that I feel I know all too well from personal experience and I'm sure most if not all listeners could relate to as well and that is injuries. What I plan on doing for this podcast is covering all the injuries that have impacted me for six months plus just for the sake of time and I plan on covering how it affected me physically, mentally, what I learned from them and hopefully provide some value to those who are listening to the podcast. Because I know for myself when I've been injured throughout my weightlifting career so far it can feel lonely like you're the only one in the room that is injured at that time and you it's easy to take on a victim mentality when it comes to this, especially with the power of social media these days, you know, showcasing the highlight reel of everyone in the world doing weightlifting, looking like that they're never injured and always lifting heavy and having fun, but that's not always the case. And one of my more sobering moments to realizing the whole facade around the perceived invincibility of the athletes at the elite level for myself personally was at my first world championships back in 2018 in Turkmenistan. And when I arrived and went to my first training session in the training hall, I saw Lu Jun for the first time. And I don't need to say who Lu Jun is because everyone knows who it is. But I went into the room and saw he had just finished his training session. He was sitting there with an ice pack on both knees. A trainer had an ice pack being held to his lower back. And not long after that, he went and proceeded to be rubbed down by two different trainers and then stretched. That was the first time that I'd saw that these people at the top level are human and they're not exactly lifting maximal amounts all the time, as you see on the big screen. That there's a lot more behind the scenes, especially when it comes to injuries, that is not exactly showcased on social media and other media platforms. So when it comes to this podcast episode, that's essentially what I'm going to be aiming to do. So I'm going to run through six injuries that have lasted me, yes, yeah, six months plus And I'm going to do it, to paint more of a picture, I'll do it in chronological order as it'll make more sense as it goes down the road, as some of my early injuries then were a variable that caused later ones down the track. So to kick off my injuries, I'm going to start with one that I'd gotten within my first 12 months of my weightlifting career. This all stems back to my sporting career pre-weightlifting. So I did a lot of sprinting, I did long jump with athletics while tying into playing a lot of rugby league where I was hospitalized two to three times over my rugby league career with ankle sprains. And because of that, I developed bone spurs in both ankles. Although I wasn't aware of this until later down the track of my weightlifting career, but that was how I started in terms of my weightlifting and my ankles. So I had horrible dorsiflexion, still obviously do. When I started, I thought that I simply just had tight calves and 
I worked on trying to, you know, mobilize my calves pre-training to try to gain more dorsiflexion so I'd have a more comfortable bottom position. It was working over time slowly. I wasn't getting much ground because obviously I had spurs in both ankles which were stopping it. But due to my impatience, I saw someone doing a stretch where you go down in a squat position but you put all of your weight on one side. So you may not even be in a squat position on your right leg but you are on your left leg and some people will put a plate on their knee in order to use more weight to give more of a stretch to their calf. So I saw someone do that and I thought I'd give it a try, but I used a 25 kilo plate on my knee. As soon as I put it on there, I heard a big loud crack come from my ankle. And what I did was create a one by one centimeter loose body within my ankle, which further inhibited the range within that left ankle. The spurs were still there, but I then created an extra thing on top of that, which really inhibited the range. So I'm talking when I do my knee to wall, four centimeters is the most I can get. But that not only further inhibited my ankle range, but created an imbalance. So my right side sits at about seven centimeters from the wall, and my left is about four centimeters from the wall. So if you see any videos of me lifting or squatting from front on, you'll see that my left ankle slightly externally rotates naturally more than my right, and that is to get more of an even position in the bottom of my squat. Now the main takeaway I took from this injury was to simply have patience when it came to things that took time in order to progress and not to search for shortcuts, especially when there may be underlying factors like in my case there was with the bone spurs in my ankles. The smart thing to have done would have been to work with a professional in the health space who could have addressed things like this and give me a path forward that would have guaranteed success instead of trying to search for a shortcut and throw a 25 kilo plate on my knee, which made things worse, not only from here, but you'll see that this injury becomes relevant for injuries down the track also. Now onto my next injury, which was my left adductor. And this goes roughly a year and a few months into my training. And I just come off my first national championships where I come fourth. And for this injury, it is in regards to working on my split jerk. Just after the national championships, I had missed my last jerk in order to make the medals. So I come fourth, missed my last jerk at 135. And this is going back to the last competition that we had commentators in Australia. And Bowen got me with a good one. He said that I clean like Tarzan and jerk like Jane. And that just ate away at me because I agreed. Watching that jerk back, it was terrible. So going back into training, I'd made it my mission that I was going to fix my jerk and my lifts were going to go way out because of it. So that's exactly what I did. So heading back into training after nationals, I made it my mission that I was going to work on my split jerk and finally get it down pat. So heading back into my first training session, my goal was simply just to do split jerks to figure it out. And that's what I did. Three hours that session, all I did was split jerks. After that day, heading back into the gym, the next day after that, guess what was on the menu? Split jerks again. Three hours. Not the smartest thing. So after three hours of my second day in a row, purely just doing split jerks, I'd hit a split jerk and felt and heard a loud pop coming from my adductor and which was my back leg in the split jerk in this scenario i didn't think anything from it at the time it felt kind of weird obviously as there was a loud pop so i tried to continue the rest of the session on but whenever i was in a squat position pulling off the ground or obviously doing a split jerk 
there was a sharp pain coming from my adductor. Now what I had done here was, although I didn't know it at the time, was that I had torn my adductor. So anytime I was in a squat position, pulling off the floor, obviously trying to do a split jerk, there was immediate sharp pain. I didn't go get a scan straight away, as I thought it was simply just tight and a little strain from doing six hours of split jerks in two days. So I just avoided what was causing significant pain and did what I could. This went for eight months. And during this eight-month period, I went through a rehabilitation process to strengthen the adductor and try to return to normal as quick as I could. During this, I didn't perform any back or front squats, and I also only power jerked, so no split jerks for the eight months. Even when it come to competition, I power jerked. When I returned back to normal split jerking, I had swapped my legs around, so I took some pressure off the adductor just as a precaution so I didn't injure the adductor again. Now the takeaway from this one was similar to the ankle range issue but in a technical aspect now. To be patient and use my brain a little more and not train so stupidly. It was a tough lesson to learn but it was a necessary one at that. Now on to the third injury that I'll go over for this episode and that is my left hip. So this was the first injury that had started off small for me and grew into something big over time. Just like I said earlier how my left ankle was a variable in causing injuries down the track, this one definitely played a part when it comes to my hip, as I had a bit of an imbalance growing as I had less flexion in one ankle, and I was favoring my right leg more, and also putting extra stress on my left hip and ankle. And what had happened was one day I was back squatting at the gym, this is going into 2019, so my Olympic qualification year. I was one competition down at this point at the end of 2018, and I had roughly a year and a half left of the qualification period. So it was still early in this qualification period for the Games. And I was back squatting one day. After I'd bounced out of the bottom, I had felt a little flicker in my left hip. And I didn't think of anything at the time, as it wasn't painful. It was just a little uncomfortable flicker. And the next day, in that same area, it had just felt like I had a small bruise in my left hip. And still, didn't think of anything of it, but this grew to be something severe over a 10-month period. So what had happened here was I was slowly developing trochanteric bursitis in my hip. And what that is, is a fluid sac situated, and for simplicity's sake, I would just say it's on the outside of the hip bone. So you have a fluid sac that begins to fill with fluid and become inflamed and it causes friction and pain to that specific area to the touch and the pain can also stem down your ITB past the knee as well, which was the case for me. And the pain was getting so bad that it came to a point where I couldn't sleep on that side where the hip was inflamed and whenever I tried to put down force with that leg, whether that be a squat, a jerk, or a pull, I felt a pain sharp directly in my hip, and also that ache that ran down the side of my leg. Unfortunately, due to the nature of the Tokyo qualification system, I couldn't take a break. I was going comp to comp all around the world to make sure I was ticking all the boxes to make the Olympics. The only band-aid that I could put over the issue was cortisone injections put into the fluid sac in the hip, and I got three of them over the course of the year, One of them worked for roughly a month, and the other two did nothing at all. The fix for this was to rest and focus on some glute rehabilitation work to make sure the glute was acting and not putting that extra stress um, causing the bursitis. 
but because I wasn't able to take any time off as I was going from comp to comp to make the Olympics, the issue just become worse all year. To put in perspective of how bad it got, at the Pacific Games in Samoa, in training I'd clean and jerked 170 and I had front squatted 171 for a set of seven. And after this period, after a couple months of the hip getting worse, my 7RM front squat had then turned into my 1RM. So I could only front squat my clean and jerk for one rep, just, and that was with pain. Towards the end of the year, all of my lifts went down, down, and down to where my last competition of the year in Qatar, I only snatched not even 90% of my best. So I almost bombed out on a 115 snatch. Ended up clean and jerky 162, which is way more than I'd done in training, but was significantly less than what I was doing when my hip wasn't bad. And during this 10-month period, this injury had affected me mentally 10 times more than any other injury I had gotten in the past due to the pressure of the Olympic Games coming up and me feeling like I was ruining my chance of going because of this hip that just wasn't letting up. So after my Qatar competition where I'd come off one of my worst results compared to my best numbers that I put up in the past, I got back home on Christmas Day and had the chance to have a couple weeks off for the first time all year. And after those couple weeks off, I had come back and did a little bit of rehab work for the next week or so after that. I was fixed. No more hip pain at all. And this led into my fourth injury. But I'll paint a picture as to what led up to this. So just coming off the left hip, finally letting up after 10 months and essentially bringing all of my numbers down to nothing after my time off. It came into 2020, which was the Olympic year. And we had one more qualifying event left that I had to do as a compulsory event. And that was supposed to be in Nauru uh, in April, roughly. So I had a few months to go from nothing to training up to hopefully hitting something big and making the Olympics. This was around the time that COVID had hit and all the gyms had shut down. But I was fortunate enough to have a setup in my garage. So I trained away for those months leading up to this event and I had had my best training run to date. As everyone knows with COVID, the Olympics was eventually postponed until the year later. What I did was continue this big training run until when the Olympics was supposed to be on, which was roughly the start of July. I had synchronized that well with my training and I put 11 kilograms on my total and unofficially broke the Commonwealth clean and jerk record in the process. But during my second last clean and jerk warm-up weight, I had felt that flicker again, but in the right hip this time, so in the opposite side as to what I did earlier. I finished the competition off. There, there wasn't any dramas once I was doing the competition lifts, but I knew as soon as I felt that, that I had been here before, but just with the opposite hip this time. So seeing that I had been in this situation before, but just with the other hip this time, I jumped on it straight away just as I knew how bad it could get. Immediately after the competition, I sourced and got a scan to get the result, which had confirmed that I did have bursitis developing in the right hip. I went and saw specialists and got a rehabilitation program to try and get back into training as soon as I could. But unfortunately, this lasted longer than I would have hoped for. This went from August all the way through to the new year and it wasn't until that January period where I started feeling myself again. This leads into my next injury that I had received this year but 
it took a couple months into the new year before this happened. For those that didn't know, in 2021 being the new Olympic year, unfortunately COVID wasn't quite under control in the first few months. Our last qualification event that was supposed to be Nauru, that was postponed alongside the Olympics for a year, ended up getting cancelled. So fortunate for myself, as I was the front runner in my category, I had made the Olympic Games without having to do that last competition. And this essentially meant that I had a seven-month block to build up from nothing once again, considering I was rehabbing for months prior to the new year, up until the Olympics, which were in July. The first couple of months training up started really well. I was tracking quite well in my training. This led to going to an AIS camp with the Australian team in the end of February. The training camp went well. There was nothing too significant out of it as I was still building a base leading up to the Olympics mid-year. On the last training session, on the last day, I was doing some push press. And I was doing these off the jerk blocks in the main AIS gym. And the thing is with these jerk blocks, they're at least 20 years old. And it sounds like metal on metal when you drop the weights on these things. And to save from deafening everyone in the gym, we put some small padding, some crash pads that that weightlifters use for when they're lifting at home and don't want to make too much noise. So we put them on these jerk blocks. And the other thing with these jerk blocks is there's no barriers on each side. So if one side rolls off, there's nothing to stop it and it just rolls off the edge of the jerk blocks. And unfortunately, that is what happened. So I had just finished a set at 100 kilos doing push press. After I'd done the set, dropped the weight, one side started rolling off. Unconsciously, my instinct was to try to save it so it wouldn't roll off the jerk blocks, but it didn't quite get there in time, and what had happened was one side had rolled off the jerk blocks, and while it rolled off, the inner knurling collided with the metal jerk blocks, and my finger was directly in between the knurling and the jerk blocks. And all I felt at the time was a little flick, in my finger so I didn't feel any pain at all but I obviously looked down at my hand and it was a sight to be seen to say the least. What had happened was my finger at the bottom of the fingernail just above the knuckle was completely crushed. From the fingernail being completely removed and the nail bed ruined to the bone being crushed to the nerves being damaged hence having no pain initially with the injury because the nerve damage. So after this happened we immediately drove to the hospital where my finger was minimally stitched up just in time to be able to fly back home. And after arriving home I had to as soon as possible try source out a surgeon to try fix the finger as it wasn't exactly in a state to heal properly as there was no nail bed anymore and as I found out later there was still debris in the wound that if I didn't get it operated on as soon as possible it would have become infected. So I was lucky enough to have found one surgeon that was roughly an hour away from me that I could book in within 24 hours. 24 hours and several thousand dollars later, I had my finger reshaped with a plastic sleeve as the nail bed and was able to clean out the wound properly and start my full recovery. This recovery took a couple of months and still to this day I can't feel the top of my finger at all and it is a little disformed and the nail doesn't look too pretty but I can still use it as usual now. But after injuring it, there was a couple month period there where I couldn't pull anything off the ground even with straps because the pressure on the finger was just far too much and I obviously couldn't hook grip until the finger had properly healed. All I had to do for a couple of months within that last training block for the Olympics was to squat. 
this ties into the last injury that I'll cover in this episode, and that is my left knee. So while I was recovering from my finger injury for this last block leading into the Olympics, I thought the least I could do was make sure that my legs were strong when I come back from my injury. So for that little time that I had left, I would hopefully be able to transfer that into my lifts. And that's what I started doing. So while I was building my squats up, my left knee kept swelling up considerably and had stopped me from doing any back squats completely and minimized the amount I could front squat for a while. After getting the necessary scans and assessment on the injury, there was a noted discoid meniscus, bursitis, and chondromalacia, which is essentially just the degeneration of the cartilage. Now, the way forward to this was obviously extensive rehabilitation work to try to strengthen the stabilizing muscles for the knee to take off as much pressure off the knee as I could. And this is something that I implement into my training to this day now. Back leading into the Olympics, I was able to eventually get it into a point where I was able to lift again, just tying into when my finger healed up and I had an eight-week period before the Olympics, as to which I put 125-166 on the board for six out of six. So it was more that I had done in that training run, but I was able to pull it in for that competition and not hit PB lifts, but considering to where I was with my injuries was a good result for me. Now, these are all my significant, long-lasting injuries that I've had so far in my weightlifting career. I've had other smaller ones, and I could go into more depth about the injuries that I've just spoken about, but I think that's enough for this episode. Now, hopefully you've gotten something out of that. I didn't want to share these injuries as in to act like a victim, like I had been injured so much and gone through a lot, because what I wanted to share was everyone goes through injuries. It may seem like people are living in a world where they're invincible and enjoying their lifting 100% of the time, but everyone goes through injuries from time to time. There's no lifter that I know on the elite level that I've met that isn't currently or have dealt with a significant injury in the past. Now, if you're someone who is struggling with a current injury, I'd recommend first talking to a, a health professional that can put you on the right path forward in terms of recovery. If you're someone that is struggling mentally with injuries, as I know that it can definitely take a toll on your mental health, especially if you're someone with certain goals in weightlifting, whether that be lifting at the elite level, national level, state level, want to snatch and clean and jerk a certain weight, I'd recommend talking to your peers as a lot of people have dealt with injuries in the past and you're definitely not alone when it comes to that subject. As for myself, learning the hard way through experience again and again, I've learned that it's always better to try extinguish a lit match with a drop of water instead of having to call the fire brigade down the track when the injury becomes something a lot bigger than it has to be. And what I've seen in weightlifting is whoever can train the longest uninjured tends to win in the long run. It may not pay off short term, but it's all about sustainability. And if you can lift for a long period of time uninjured, I think you're going to come off a winner at the end of the day. Now, I think I will wrap up the podcast here. So thank you for everyone to joining in to episode five of the Waiting Game podcast and tune in again next Monday for a fresh topic. I'll talk to you all then.